0: We have two guests on this episode of FTG. The first is Sam Bonzel. Sam is the Reeves Family Early Career Professor in Accounting at Penn State's Smeal College of Business in University Park, where he teaches Master of Accounting and doctoral students and conducts research related to the impact of information on capital markets. Before joining Penn State in 2017, he served on the faculty of The Ohio State University's Fisher College of Business in Columbus and worked in economic litigation consulting at Bates White LLC in Washington, D.C. He earned a B.S. in economics with honors from Penn State in 2004. He also earned an M.S. in business administration from Penn State in 2004 and a Ph.D. in business administration, also from Penn State, in 2012. Our second guest is Lauren Bonzel, class of 2005. Lauren is a middle school math teacher in State College, where she teaches sixth through eighth grade students of a wide variety of abilities. Before returning to public school teaching in 2019, she was able to concentrate her full-time attention on raising their two sons. Lauren earned a BS in secondary education with a focus in mathematics with honors from Penn State in 2005. She also earned a Master of Library and Information Science from the University of Pittsburgh in 2010. In this lively conversation, you'll hear advice from both Sam and Lauren on engaging with campus if you're a state college native, stories from Penn State's bands, insights into economic consulting, returning to graduate school after working, in the K-12 and higher ed faculty job search process. There's lots more to come, so let's just dive right into our conversation with Sam and Lauren Bonzel. Welcome to the show, Sam and Lauren. I'm so excited that you are here. How are you both today? Doing well, Sean. Thanks for having us.
1: I'm doing well as well.
0: Fantastic. So I know we've got a jam packed conversation ahead. um, But I want to just start it's been a wild year if uh, Sam first and then Lauren, tell me what are you working on right now in your respective roles. So I guess I'll go first. Um, for
2: me, it's a lot of what I'm doing is uh, the same as it was before the pandemic. Um, I'm working on research, uh, business research, and I can do that fortunately from the friendly confines of my home office. Uh, the fall semester was when I did my uh, the bulk of my teaching, and that was uh, a very different experience. I taught a hybrid sort of class. Um, and then as more of my students tested positive for COVID, the numbers in the in-person part of it Uh, kind of shrank. Um, So it it was definitely a unique experience, but I'm sure Lauren can also talk about education in the the world of COVID-19.
1: That's for sure. I'm a middle school math teacher, and we've experienced all forms of instruction this year. We've been remote. We're currently hybrid. I teach some of my students online at home. Some students are in person in front of me, and we're still changing as of Monday more students will be returning to the building. So it's been a learning year for the students as well as for me as we've tried to learn all of these new methods of delivering instruction.
0: Yeah, I bet that's been quite the adventure, especially in the K-12 ranks, Lauren. <laughs> that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> has, there, has there been any particular success that you've found with those tools in the K-12 ranks or Sam with you in the university setting?
1: One of my favorite tools that we're using is a program called Desmos, and it enables me to post problems that the kids can work on. They, most of them have a stylus on their computer and I can watch them in real time working through math problems and then give them feedback either verbally or um, typed to them. And it's been so cool to be able to watch them. It gives me insight into how they're thinking in a way that if we were all in a class, I wouldn't be able to look at them all at the same time that way. So there have been some benefits um, to being able to see their work in real time.
2: Yeah, I guess for me, I'm just thankful that I invested in Canvas while I was at that school to the west of us. Uh, they adopted <laughs> Canvas before Penn State did. Uh, and so I, I didn't have to learn that like a lot of my colleagues, and so I was good with that. And I've been teaching with an iPad in the classroom for basically my entire academic career. So using that and transmitting over Zoom, my uh, the problems I'm working in class was pretty seamless as it turned out.
0: That's fantastic. And I think uh, to your point, Lauren, what my immediate thought was, wow, that kind of goes against a lot of the things you hear about screen time, being able to use these <laughs> pieces of technology. But I know as somebody who struggled with math in a K-12 setting, I think I probably would have benefited from that. So that's a really kind of a cool silver lining in, the, in this scenario.
1: It is. And the kid it makes the kids appreciate the pencil and paper problems also. I think that having a good balance between doing things on the computer and doing them on paper has worked really well for me this year.
0: That's fantastic. And I love that you both are innovating. I think that speaks to your experience as Shrier Scholars. And I know, Sam, you just alluded to some of your previous experiences at another institution, but I want to take it really further back. And I want to know... You know, you're both in education, and you both are molding minds at the, at different levels. Is that something that you both always wanted to do, or did you kind of fall into that? I would love to hear kind of your your superhero origin stories, if you will. Yeah. So this was um, I. My origin story is nowhere near where I ended up.
2: Um, if you had asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to do. Um, So take me back 25 years. I'm a, a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan. The Phillies go and they they lose the 1993 World Series uh, to the Toronto uh, Blue Jays. Sam, don't remind, don't remind me. Don't remind me. <laughs> right. So, but at the time, one of the star players was uh, their catcher Darren Dalton, and he was my he was my hero growing up. And but he had a, a, sh- a shortened career because of, of knee injuries. And and my parents will will laugh when I say this, but all I wanted to do was become an orthopedic surgeon and become the Phillies team doctor so that I could repair Darren Dalton's knees. Not really thinking through the. That by the time I got through medical school and residency, and maybe ended up getting that position that Darren Dalton would have been well retired anyway. So that's, that's where I was years ago, that one thing led to another, I still thought I might want to be in medicine. Um, but then toward the late 1990s, I started trading stock online in E-Trade with a friend of mine and got interested in finance and economics. And so when I got to Penn state, I, uh, I decided to study economics and, and that led me into consulting. And then the consulting got me introduced to academics and, uh, and then I got my PhD and the rest is, I guess, history.
1: My origin story is probably not quite as interesting or involved, I feel like from early elementary school, I wanted to be a teacher. I can remember lining up stuffed animals, my sister, whoever I could find to teach them at home. And it just changed as I grew what grade level I wanted to teach. I think that math first became exciting to me in early elementary school and a specific teacher took an interest in my math abilities and really nurtured that love. And I had a number of wonderful math teachers throughout middle and high school and kept me interested in that career path. So I feel like I've wanted to be a teacher for as long as I can remember.
0: That's kind of funny, Sam, you know, you really discovered this along the way that you that you love the academic side versus Lauren, you know, you're sharing that, you know, this is always what you wanted to do. And I think, you know, for any, for you listening at home, you know, everyone has a little bit of a different path than until you find that passion. And I think, you know, even in a married couple, you can have differences there. Um, which speaking of, how did you two Actually, meet. It's not every day that we have a pair of Shrier scholars that are um, a married couple and, and involved in the college and um, doing all the great things in the local community here in State College that you're doing. So, how did you meet? I want to hear your, your story. Well, we we met in uh,
2: the I guess late summer, early fall of 1999 and I was uh, beginning my senior year at State College Area High School. Lauren was beginning her junior year and we were both in the State College Area High School marching band. I played alto saxophone, Uh, she played clarinet. Our ranks, um, which is the kind of small instrumental groups in the formations, as we call them, uh, were right next to each other. And I was a rank leader for the saxophone rank and Lauren was what we called the left guide. And so we were right next to each other.
1: left side of another scholar's rank, right?
2: Yes, indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. So do you want to take it from there, Lauren? Keep going with it. (laughs)
1: So so we spent a lot of warm summer days outside together. And I just loved listening to Sam talk. He was always joking around. And we got to know each other as friends. And then I decided that I wanted to invite this person to the homecoming dance. And so late one night after uh, a football game and a meal at highway pizza i pulled him into a <laughs> a dark sidewalk space and asked him if he wanted to go to the homecoming dance with me and Sam will laugh, but he told me that he needed to ask his mom and waited <laughs> three more days and kept me hanging. But we couldn't text and we didn't email and do those kinds of things at that time. So I had to wait my three more days. And he said, that thing that we talked about on Friday, I would love to go. So <laughs> the rest is history.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That must have been one very long weekend for you. It was. <laughs> oh my gosh it was worth it <laughs> so you're both locals i know that there's often you kind of hear two angles to that some you know some students who go to state college area high school they grow up and they're like i'm going to penn state and others say i'm going anywhere but so how did you know especially being in different grades how did you both come to not only come to penn state but also select the schreier honors college as part of your journey
1: sure I was definitely part of that. I'm never going to Penn State. I want to go anywhere but Penn State um, group. I Both of my parents went to a small private school, and so I think that in their minds, that was the way that I needed I needed to follow a path like that. And they were terrified about me being at such a large school that I would kind of get lost in the crowd. So I felt like all through high school, that was kind of the message that I had heard. Uh, Thankfully, Sam, being a year ahead of me, had already started at the Honors College when I was uh, figuring out my path. And I figured out that I kind of wanted to be close to home. And having Sam at Penn State certainly uh, helped (laughs) and showed me that the Honors College really is a college within this large university and is able to provide so many of those small school aspects that I and my parents were looking for in a college. So I changed paths. I and decided that that was where I wanted to go.
2: Yeah, so for for me, Sean, I um I was in that that bucket. My my mindset at least was in that bucket of anywhere but Penn State. Um and so I applied to many schools, Ivy League institutions, um, you know, other state schools with the thought there's no way I'm going to Penn State. But when you come down to it and you really think about it, There's something that's basically in your backyard that's a a super wonderful place. When you're in high school, you don't really get to experience what Penn State is, except for football. Um, But you don't get to understand what the Penn State college experience is about. And I had some friends uh, who were in jazz band with me who were in the Schreyer Honors College, uh, and they were really enjoying their experience Uh, and and factor in also the the financial aspect of it when it when I was, frankly, Thinking about the University of Virginia Eccles Scholars Program or the Schreyer Honors College, and I'm facing out of state tuition at, for Virginia or in state tuition and the Academic Excellence Scholarship and maybe other scholarships down the line. It you know it, I'm a fairly rational guy. I was getting ready to study economics. These things, these things mattered, mattered to me. Right. And I would never look back. Um, uh, so certainly I didn't go into it thinking either, but I became one of those statistics, you know, like two thirds to three quarters of a typical state college, high school graduating class goes to Penn State. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of it.
1: And I think that it's int- none of our pair of our four parents worked at the university, and so it really was a different experience than we were used to being on campus. I remember walking around before school started and remembering realizing that I hadn't walked anywhere except around on the stadium area or downtown, and so it was a new experience. It wasn't just a continuation of high school for us,
0: like you said, Sam. You have this world-class institution, especially with the Shire Honors College right in your backyard. So f- from a rational decision-making perspective, the rational being uh, in economics or in political science, definitely a great choice. And I'm glad that you both made that um, you know, skipping a little bit ahead in the story, but you're both amazing volunteers with the college. So really appreciate that. But I want to hear about your experience as a scholar. We've, we've talked about, you know, you came in, you knew what you were going to major in, it sounds like, and you stuck with that, which is kind of uncommon at times. But I'd love to hear, you know, you're involved. Tell us about what all major experience special. What clubs or activities and research were you involved in? So it's interesting you said that we stuck with our majors. I, in fact, <laughs> uh, did not stick with my
2: major. Um, so a little backstory here. My my mom, more so than my dad, um, had this uh, idea that only engineers um, could get jobs. And so there was a lot of pressure to major in engineering. And so I think to, to placate my my mom, I actually uh, entered Penn State as an engineering science and mechanics major. <laughs> But I very quickly in the well, I think it was ED and G one hundred class at the time realized this is was not my my cup of tea, and I and I knew, knew I wanted to study economics, but had had a hard time convincing my mom that that was a, a good thing to do when I was still in the house. But once I was liberated and living in Atherton Hall, there was nothing stopping me from going and filing paperwork with the College of Liberal Arts, and that's what I did within the first two weeks of the first semester of my college experiences. I switched major. I switched majors. I was barely in the major, and I switched to econ, and uh, and and so then I stuck it out with with econ, and, and then and then discovered accounting along the way too, which was uh, I think a, had a big impact on me. One of the I think the the truly remarkable experiences I had in the um, Thank <laughs> you in my time at Penn state was the economics honors program. So my honors advisor, uh, Dr. David Shapiro was my, uh, he was uh, in charge of this departmental honors program, which he was very proud of saying predates both the Schreier honors college and the university scholars program. Um, so the econ department had a history of, of enriching education for, for students. And it was a, it was a great, um, 12 credit sequence during my senior year in which we, we studied, kind of the philosophy of economics also worked on our, our theses, um, with a, with a small group of, I think there are probably 10 to 12, uh, students all together. So we really got to know each other, uh, quite well. I got to know Dr. Shapiro well, and, uh, Dr. Pinksey, who was the other econ faculty member. And I, I really think it was in that program, it really, I think, got me thinking about academics as a, as a possible future, uh, career option, um, So I I think that's something that I'm not sure that all scholars have that same opportunity within their within their major. But that was certainly um, a a big, a big thing for me outside of econ. um, A lot of my time was spent out on the fields, the intramural fields um, by the stadium as a member of the the blue band playing saxophone. Um, I can't tell you how many hours of practice over the course of four years that was. And over the course of four years that were particularly terrible for Penn State football, let me add, I got to, so the blue band likes to, or at least when I was trying out for the first time, like to build this as you get this free trip every year at new year's to these wonderful locales, like, like Arizona or Florida or new Orleans or Texas. Turns out I got one trip in four years Two if you count the the so-called pretzel bowl that we attended in Reading PA during my freshman year. Uh, but that was, that was a blast. and I made many, many friends, uh, lifetime friends, uh, being in the blue band. Uh, and many of them were actually interesting enough in the, uh, in the honors college as well.
0: Sam, was that the, was that a, a citrus bowl by any chance? It was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I think I may have seen you march at universal studios, uh, in that one good year in those dark years as they call them. Uh, so if you were, if you were there, I saw you at that theme park <laughs> marching down the
1: street so after seeing all of the time that sam spent in uh with blue band despite the fact that he was really loving it i decided i was not going to try out for blue band but i did have the chance to participate in the basketball pep band with him and some other atherton hall friends which was a great way to continue my clarinet playing through college one other thing that really stands out to me during my time at Penn State is the opportunities I had to actually teach math, whether it was during a pre-student teaching experience, which I had a number. I was thinking I got to go to Claysburg my freshman year. Uh, we drove in this 15-passenger van woke up at four o'clock in the morning in order to get there, um, every Tuesday so that we could work with students. I had another experience through an honors college, um, class to go to Bald Eagle and work with students who were struggling to learn how to read, um, a professor or an instructor, I guess, um, of math, a friend of one of my, um, the mother of one of my friends asked me if I would be interested in tutoring one of the intro math classes at Penn State. And so I was able to have that opportunity to work with college students and help them um, with math all the way to my student teaching experience in Pittsburgh. So I really had a chance to work with a number of different age groups and different math levels. And I think that that really helped to solidify the, my belief that being in the classroom was the place where I wanted to be.
0: I think that really speaks to what I hear from so many scholar alumni. Like Shrier doesn't guarantee you the world, but it opens a lot of doors to um, our scholars and those opportunities that you only get because of the the fact that you are in the Shrier Honors College. So. Um, that is some great stuff to hear I want to start talking about your transitions into you know your careers but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you both remember your thesis topics and possibly what you learned out of that process so my thesis I think had a title
2: something along the lines of bank opacity and the uh, and monetary policy transmission or something like that um, I think what I got out of that is I, I learned how to do statistical computer programming. I learned SAS uh, to do the data data analysis. And that has served me well in in the years since.
1: My thesis was about making the connection between children's literature and middle school mathematics. And it makes me smile thinking about it because those are my two passions. I love to read and I love to teach math. And I will After graduating from Penn State, taught for a few years and then decided when it was time to go back and get my master's that I was going to get that in library and information science. So it continued to kind of project what my journey might look like combining these two loves that I have.
0: That is awesome. That's not something that you think of every day being able that's to right. combine those <laughs> combine
1: math I'm and literature. I'm pretty sure that my advisor still may not think that that's a very good idea, but <laughs> it
0: was fun for me. Well, hey, you have that honors medal at home or in your, you know, in your office, so certainly or in your classroom I should say, you know, so I think that that would prove that it was a great topic. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like Lauren, you went straight into teaching. Um, but Sam, I know you have not always been in academia. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your pit stop along the way? In uh, in a different career path. Yeah, so I uh, so toward the
2: and we we started this conversation like me changing my mind and what I wanted to do all the way back to my aspirations to be an orthopedic surgeon. I actually by the end of my college career thought I I still thought I wanted to attend law school at some point, um, but I wasn't ready uh, to to do that yet. And so I took a job at uh, Bates White Ballantine at the time. Now it's Bates White, which uh, uh, is an economic litigation consulting firm um, headquartered in in Washington, D.C., with the thought that I could kind of marry the disciplines of economics uh, and its application to the law. So at at Bates White, we were hired by law firms to write expert reports to support uh, large-scale civil litigation. Um, And so during my time at Bates White, I worked on securities class action lawsuits involving fraud, allegations of fraud. I worked for 18 months on bankruptcy proceedings related to Enron Corp, which was when I was in college, uh, this huge bankruptcy is, I think, the seventh largest in U.S. history. It's, I mean, the kind of the poster child for um, bad corporate behavior. Um, And it's still, uh, you know, a big issue Uh, here I am now, you know, 20 years later teaching accounting. It still, it still comes up. It's still important. Um, But... It was at Bates White that I... I learned that uh, I was much too uh, much of a quant uh, to go to law school is what I decided. Um, and so, uh, and also uh, most of the partners at my firm were uh, PhD or are PhD economists and may have spent some time in academia before joining the consulting ranks on a more full-time basis, including the the former uh, chair of the Penn State Economics Department, uh, Bob Marshall. And and so just interacting on a day-to-day basis with these really Smart PhD level economists, uh, and, and that just kind of kind of lit the fire to maybe that would be something that I would want to do, and that coupled with the fact that in consulting of that type, there's an unwritten rule that at some point in time, Bates White was a little less structured than some other consulting firms, where it was a two and out rule. Bates White. At some point, you needed to go back to the business school, get an MBA, go to law school, get your JD, uh, or, or get a PhD. And so, little by little, all the all the the my colleagues who started with me in 2004 um, started going off to graduate school, and I was one of the the last to uh, to. Um, be at the firm and and so i i decided i should probably go go back to grad school if i ever want to do that and and so i went back to penn state in 2007
0: that is that is quite the (laughs) the rebound boomerang and and i think a theme here is that it won't be the last time um right sam (laughs) that's right (laughs) we can't get enough of this place So I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but so, you know, you come back to Penn State, you earn your doctorate, and then what was the next part of your journey? And you can use the full name of the the institution. It's okay.
2: Yeah. So in a, and this is different. So maybe to kind of preface the, the response here uh, in business school, PhD programs, uh, business schools have historically um, had a shortage of PhD-level faculty at universities. And so... It's the objective to, to get a job as a tenure track uh, academic, whereas in some fields, economics included, the production of PhDs uh, well exceeds the number of positions at universities. So there are a lot of really smart econ PhDs who go to work for firms like Base White, um, uh, but don't go in academics. So I knew going into the program, my, my goal was to move into uh, an academic position. But there's this idea in, in business school, and then again, this is not consistent with all fields. So anyone out there who's thinking, well, maybe I want to get a PhD in engineering, it's different in engineering. Engineering. But business schools don't typically hire their own PhD grads. There's um, the, the the term I've heard as a grad student was like it was called intellectual inbreeding. Maybe not fully politically correct, but that was the term that was split around. The idea was that you want to go out there and mix ideas with other people who were trained by others. So I went and did this fairly elaborate interview process during the, That's an understatement, win- yeah, yeah, the winter <laughs> of 2012. So I think, so a, a, a colleague of mine actually made me a t-shirt that with on the front said like the Bonsel national tour 2012. I think I interviewed at 21 universities across the, across the country, but ultimately I got a few job offers and ultimately decided to start my career at the Fisher college of business at the Ohio State University, as they they like to refer to it. And, and so that's that's where I, I got got going on this academic thing.
0: So that sounds like it was a pretty wild couple of years for you both. Lauren, you mentioned you went back and, and got a master's at it was a pit. I believe it was a
1: pit, It was, but we keep that a little bit quiet too. <laughs> <laughs> great,
0: great! It's a great school. It is a great school. We don't want to knock pit on the academics. We just right. want to, we just want to cheer really hard against them on the field, the court, the rink, right. whatever on the mat, whatever it is.
1: If Penn State had offered a Master of Library and in Information Science, I would have been there. But <laughs> you got to go where the program is.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it sounds like a pretty wild period: getting a masters, getting a PhD, job searching. And if I am correct in knowing a little bit about your your story, I think there was also you were starting a family around this time.
1: I was going to say it is correct. And I was going to say we wonder sometimes whether Sam's 21 school visit or me being working full time. Caring for our 10 month old son was the worst deal there. So it was a wild few months. So we were excited when we finally knew where we were going to wind up and we could be settled and kind of return to normal life again.
0: Well, I think that's I bet you learned a lot. And I hear more and more from students. You hear more and more in the zeitgeist about this idea of work life balance. So I'm sure you both must have learned some great nuggets of how to balance family, job searching, getting advanced degrees, all and working all at the same time. So if you have a couple of nuggets that you want to drop for the scholars listening.
1: I had been working full time. Our older son, Colin, who's 10 now, uh, was born and I continued working full time because Sam was still in school. And then when we moved to Ohio, I thought that I would continue working full time. uh, And had some interviews and things didn't work out. And I decided to take that as a sign that it was time for me to take a step back from teaching. And that was really hard. I loved my jobs. I loved being in the classroom and I really had no idea what to do being a stay-at-home mom. But the what turned into seven years of me being able to be home with my boys, I'm so thankful for. And I think that it's okay to change your ideas about what your life looks like and what your plan looks like. Uh, In the past two years, I've been able to return to working and I'm so lucky that I was able to find a part-time teaching job. So I feel like I'm still working towards that balance, but the, ability to be in the classroom and also be a mom who gets the boys off the school bus when the pandemic is over, I guess. Um, I have to pick them up from school now. Um, But it helps me to balance. And I think that they are really proud of being, knowing that I'm teaching at the school next door and they love asking me about my students and um, math. And so being able to kind of have my feet straddling both worlds has worked out really well for me.
2: So I think from my perspective, an academic career is actually particularly difficult, I found, to get to work-life balance unless you really work at it. And and the reason is, is it's not a, a nine-to-five type of job because a lot of what I'm doing when I'm not teaching, right? So the teaching, you can think, Oh, it's, you're teaching certain classes at certain periods of time in a certain semester. And the semester begins at this point and it ends at that point and you grade and then you're done. But that's only uh, a third of, of kind of the job that I'm expected to do. The rest is, is to, is to publish research, which is to come up with questions that haven't been answered in my field and try to answer them with, with data in some way right but coming up with those questions it's a very unstructured process and so it's really hard to kind of turn your mind off at five o'clock or at 5 30 or at six o'clock and so that's been that's been a kind of an ongoing back and forth I, I think for me what's helped is as the kids have gotten older and i've gotten involved being a den leader in scouts or a, a assistant baseball coach is that you know, the practice; those are a natural way to like, okay, I've got to, I've got to go, I've got to go do something else. And at least I could, for some period of time, uh, can, can, you know, shut off the thinking about research or thinking about how to, you know, how to, satisfy this anonymous reviewer at a journal 's concern about the paper this or that another way I feel like that work life has, as factored in for us is uh, a couple of years after uh, I started at Ohio State, I got a job offer uh, from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and because of the stature of that school, um, you know, Lauren and i we took it seriously we went for a, we went to Philadelphia for a weekend for a full real estate tour and I to made some faculty but the the one thing that we, we were thinking about you know was you know we gotten comfortable in columbus it was a it was a medium-sized city with a reasonable commute a low cost of living and a, a department where we were productive but there weren't these i think astronomical sorts of expectations about what you should be doing and how you should be doing doing your job as long as you were you were publishing they didn't really care you know what you're, if you work from home a little bit this or that <laughs> But just what I knew about about Penn and, and the Wharton School, it was gonna be completely different. The the time in the office was gonna be the expectations for that were gonna be extensive, the the obligations greater. And going to a place like Philadelphia, we were gonna live much farther away from campus than we were at Ohio State. And so then you factor in the commute time. And I I think that collectively, despite the the prestige of the job, it just wasn't it just wasn't right for us from from a couple a family a work life balance type of uh, perspective and so i think that you know sometimes work life balance is, is trading off the maybe like the 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 pinnacle kind of job that you're, you're aspiring to because taking that job necessitates trading off other things. And and I just, we weren't willing to, weren't willing to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like, You know, I imagine there was probably some very tough conversations and a lot of thought put into that. Um, Penn is obviously a very prestigious school. Sounds like you were willing to leave Columbus because obviously you are now back here in Happy Valley Valley. (laughs) again. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about that process and how you know, recruitment and job searching works in an academic setting.
2: Yeah. So it, it turned out that that recruitment process was one that my, my former advisor um, really um, got started through just informal conversations um, talking with me, whether I, we would be interested in moving back at, at some point, you know, if the timing was right and Lauren and I loosely talked about it, but we we still figured that the horizon for moving back to Penn State was still a number of years away because again this whole idea of you got your PhD there you can't go back but um, I, I guess the the success I had in in my early career made it made it more feasible to to make that that recruitment um, earlier in my career and I don't know one thing led to another and and then I guess it was the fall of 2016, the um, the person who was the head of the faculty recruiting committee called me and said, We wanna we wanna interview you to come back. And so someone will be in touch to pick a weekend. And so we're like, well, it's it's real now. Um, and so we picked a weekend and it just so happened we picked the uh, we picked the weekend to coincide with when we were going to come be coming back to town anyway, which was the uh, the weekend of the, the Ohio State-Penn State football game. <laughs> and if any of you big Penn State foot fans out there are um, remembering that 2016 game...
0: Oh, yes. ...was when we blocked
2: a field goal and we defeated the Buckeyes to really began this trajectory under coach Franklin, um, uh, that we've kind of continued since, uh, since that season. Um, cause th- the beginning of that season wasn't going well. And it really was that, I think that that game was a catalyst for what, what was to become with Trace McSorley, Saquon, all those guys. Um, so yeah, so we came I, I interviewed, it's, it was the sort of the standard interview, academic interview, come in, have dinner the night before, although it was a little bit different cause it's, my, my advisor, Carl, um, or former advisor, Carl, took me out to dinner. So it wasn't like this strange faculty member. And then 30-minute office visits with um, with the different faculty. Although I will I have to say that the interview didn't go smoothly in, in the sense that we were supposed to go to lunch. And uh, there's this uh, Thai place in State College, Cozy Thai, and uh, one of the faculty members uh, was taking me there for lunch, but he didn't consult the schedule and didn't allow enough time for us to get parked and have meal before getting me back to, uh, the, to the, to meet with the Dean, which is one of the important meetings. And so it turned out we got seated, realized that there was no time left. So we, we had a little bit of our glass of water, got back in the car, zoomed back to the, the business building. And, uh, so I got an energy bar rather than a, a restaurant meal for my lunch. And then our department chair uh, at the time, he had this tradition of taking the speakers. So part of an academic interview is is presenting a paper uh, for 90 minutes. And academic job docs, uh, actually presentations of any kind, it's basically you against the world. You've got a paper and everybody in the audience is attacking your paper from every possible angle about why it's not an interesting question. why all the statistics you've done are wrong, why the data you have is bad, why it doesn't contribute beyond existing literature. So that's what I'm getting ready for. And the department chair says, Oh yes, yeah, my tradition, Sam to, to take speakers to the creamery before the presentation. So we go to the creamery and we have creamery, ice cream, you know, large portion sizes. Uh, and then he brings me in five minutes late to the, to the start of the presentation. So the room is full. I've got to f- kind of fumble around with my uh, USB drive to get my presentation loaded onto the computer. And then it's, you know, the questions start flying. Um, but it, it all, it all ended well. Um, a couple of weeks later, I got a, got a call from the department chair with uh, the, the formal offer and and then the the decision making, well, I think our decision was made, but then it was, it was tough. It was, I think it was really hard because, you know, I spent five years and despite all the joking about Ohio state, um, Made a lot of you know lasting relationships with with faculty there. Um, my department chair at Ohio State uh, is my uh, was my academic grandfather. He was my advisor's advisor at the University of Illinois years ago, and so there are a lot of a lot of connections established there. And It's really tough to to tell them you know hey I'm leaving um, and and saying goodbye to all those all those good friends and good colleagues. Uh, but we were excited to to come back.
0: That I've never heard about an academic interview quite like that is intense um, I can only imagine that especially with a, a belly full of creamery right. ice cream <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly exactly <laughs>
0: uh, but I think to balance out uh, Lauren I would love to just hear like what a k-12 teacher might go through in an interview process for for you know for any students listening on who have that on the horizon
1: yeah thankfully it seems very easy compared to what <laughs> Sam has described I know that my process started when we were still in Ohio I can still remember sitting uh, in Sam home office, the department chair here who knew me, who actually I had had for AP statistics in high school and then was on the team that hired me when we moved back the <laughs> second time, um, called me and said, I, are you ready to come back? Because he had heard through the grapevine that we were moving back. And that was the first time that I had to make the decision about what I wanted to do. And I decided that I just wasn't quite ready to return and then the opportunity came up again uh, in 2019, and he called again and said, We have another position, and I think this would be great for you. And I decided that that was the right time to interview. So um, thankfully, it was a small group of people. Uh, I think the hardest part was that on this interview process, I had met the principal previously. One of my best friends was on the interview team. Another colleague that I was familiar with was on the team, and so it was awkward in the sense that I was knew everybody, and um, but thankfully it was just uh, about a half hour of questions. I had a chance to talk about my previous teaching experience. And uh, coaching, I was able to coach the math counts team to a Pennsylvania state championship uh, during my previous experience. So that was fun to be able to talk about that and um, was able to get a call a couple days later that they were interested in having me back. Uh, so thankfully, it's not the same involved process that Sam has had to go through. <laughs>
0: yeah that that sounds intimidating so it sounds like that might have been a little bit of a a more I don't want to say job interviews are enjoyable, but at least it's more enjoyable.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that sometimes districts will ask you to teach a lesson. Um, I think that because this group was so familiar with my teaching that that was not part of my interview, but I know that I've heard that that is a possibility out there. So um, some people may have a more involved interview process.
0: That made sense. That made sense, you know, kind of get a a, a little bit of a vibe of what your, you know, your teaching style is. That makes makes a lot of sense. Which speaking of... um, um, I would love to hear and take this as you will pre pandemic, post pandemic, during. But like, what is a? And you alluded to this a little bit with you know some of the the iPad and the and the digital tools that you're using. But what is a day in the life of a math teacher like?
1: I love it when the kids are working together. My my ideal day is nothing like what I'm doing now. I today I was at my chair in front of my computer the entire time. And although we're making the best of it in a normal year, I would never sit down. I joke that I don't even realize I have a desk at school because I'm constantly moving around the room. I don't like standing in front of the board and lecturing, but I love giving the students problems to work out that they don't necessarily know how to do it completely when they get started, but that they're kind of working together to do some trial and error or developing new strategies. So anything that I can do to get them engaged in the process that we're working on is my goal every day. I love to have them talking and sharing ideas. And it's my favorite when different people come up with different strategies. I am not a fan of problems that only have one way of doing them. So giving some of these multi-dimensional kinds of Uh, problems are my favorite way to teach math.
0: You know, that's not surprising at all based on, you know, Sam, what you're doing in in academic research and and Lauren, as, you know, as Scholar alumni, you're continually challenging the status quo in your respective areas. And I think that just is a hallmark of our grads. But, you know, when you're a Schreier-Scholar, not everything comes easy. And I'd love if both of you could share... You know, you could call them a learning opportunity, something that you know a mistake you made along the way, and most importantly, because you are both scholar alumni, what you learned from it and integrated into your life or profession since.
2: So, I guess for me, um, <laughs> this is this is post graduation, I'd say where I want to I want to focus. But uh, you might think that academic research is a little bit more of a kind of a. <laughs> By yourself, um, you know, sort of activity, but it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of collaboration, right? And so there's there's all the idea when you're going to school and you're doing group projects and you're bemoaning working with others and dealing with free riders and all of this stuff, you know, it even even it even affects professors as it turns out. Um, I think some of the the biggest mistakes I found are, are choosing uh, co-authors to work with who just aren't all that into research. Um, and and participating in that in that whole process because it's a it's an arduous process uh, to get a, a paper from idea to publication is often a five year endeavor for a particular paper, and, and so I've really early in my career um, choosing to work with people I was friendly with uh, right that was a starting point and that turned out to be a not so good choice, uh, and so I've been much more much more selective about. Uh, the people I work with on on research. And I, I think that just the importance of picking your team when you can, when you have the choice over those individuals, picking your team is so important to the ultimate success of wh- whatever your endeavor is, whether it's research, whether it's um, a client project, um, or whether it's you're helping your, helping your students succeed.
1: And I think that in addition to uh, picking your team, which I love that idea, that being prepared is what helps me to avoid or reduce the number of mistakes I make. I think that when I think about the days that don't go well for me, it's because I'm underprepared. There's more to planning a lesson than just coming up with an agenda. And there's a lot of trying to predict what kinds of questions or problems that students are going to encounter as they're learning new material. And the more time that I spend kind of brainstorming these roadblocks for them, the better my day is going to go because then when they ask a question or they stumble through something, I'm ready for to give them some piece of wisdom or negative knowledge so that they can continue working. So the mistakes that I've made are, can be solved, I guess, by thinking through scenarios ahead of time. I also think that when I learn best from it is when I then take notes after. It's easy to kind of teach my day and then head out and not think about it again. But I love it when I can go back the next year and see post-it notes with information about how something went, or this was a great question that was asked this day, make sure that you bring this up next year. And I... My memory is not good enough anymore to remember these things from year to year. But if I can write them down and then find them, rediscover them again, it really is helpful to me going forward.
0: Wow, those are really, really great Uh, suggestions for, for the, for whoever's listening to this, you know, uh, Sam, something I thought of when you said about picking your team, sometimes you can't necessarily pick your team, but even when, you know, something, especially any senior scholars are probably thinking about is taking that first job. Right. And when you're interviewing, you're also interviewing a potential employer and let's face it in an office environment, you're around your coworkers as much as, or maybe even more than your family and friends. So that's a, a huge um, decision. And Lauren, you know, great, great points about being prepared and leaving yourself suggestions and really reflecting, I think, is a word that right, comes right. to mind on like, hey, what went well here? This was a great question. Let me incorporate that. Or, oof, that that approach didn't work so well. So maybe I can change that next time. Uh, and Sam, you already, you gave a shout out to your thesis advisor and some other faults, but I'd love if, you know, if this is your chance for the both of you, if you want to give a shout out, thank you to any friends or professors from your scholar days. Yeah, I guess
2: beyond, again, just a uh, shout out to Dr. David Shapiro, wherever you are out in uh, New Mexico. I think he, you've retired in New Mexico at this point, but but thanks for all the, the wisdom years ago. Um, and uh, to... Uh, Charlie Smith, who I still see uh, in the Department of Accounting, you got me you got me into accounting, right? If, with that, if it weren't for you, who knows where I would be.
1: <laughs> and I would say uh, thank you to Dr. Janet Bobango, who is my student teaching supervisor. Uh, once I decided that I wanted to do secondary math, you get certified in seven through 12, and I always assumed that i would be a high school math teacher at that point kind of looked down at middle school who would ever want to go back to middle school and when i was getting ready to do my student teaching experience dr bobango said i really think you should think about middle school and i just thought that that was the worst idea ever but i figured if she had faith that i could do it that what better time than doing it when i had a mentor to walk me through it step by step and it really changed my life i've taught middle school, every experience that I've had. And I love middle school. I can't imagine being anywhere else. And she really shaped my self as a teacher right now. That
0: is wonderful. I hope they get to hear this at some point. Um, I just have two final questions for the both of you. Uh, First, you're both involved with Penn state in various ways as alumni. And I'd love if you could just give a very brief overview of the ways that you're giving back in that capacity.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, I guess it's been about two years now, but I have been a member of the scholar alumni society board and, and Sean, I want to thank you for you know, coming down to my office, the, you know, two years ago ish and, and pitching the idea. It's been, it's been um, a great experience to meet, um, alumni from all different kind of periods of time, right? We get to, we, we remember that the, the scholars who, you know, we went through the college experience with, and, and so I'll take this opportunity to, you know, shout out to someone like Sean Misco. You know, keep saving democracy, okay? Um, but it's been a, it's been a thrill just to to meet scholars who graduated only a couple of years ago, um, scholars who graduated before the Schreier Honors College when it was the University Scholars Program. It's just it's amazing to see where people have gone and the different perspectives they bring to the the issues, and really, just how many people care about um you know linking back to our our current students uh, and giving back i think that's been um uh, you know a, a terrific part of it and i really enjoyed being able since i'm here in state college being able to interact at least before the pandemic uh, you know go into atherton hall and do a, a resume workshop like i did uh for the the student council and um i hope to do more of that uh in in the future but it's it's been it's been a wonderful experience
0: Yes, thank you, Sam. I think that was one of the better walks across campus that I've ever taken. <laughs> it was—I remember it was a very beautiful, sunny summer day walking up to the business building from Atherton. And we really appreciate you having—you know—taking the time to be on our alumni society board and being a leader and um, some exciting things that you're helping to contribute to around mentorship that aren't quite ready for prime time, but we're we're developing them and and you know putting some good efforts into them. So I want to say thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Um, as you continue on, on our board and, and Lauren, I know you're doing some other interesting things across campus as well.
1: Right. I, I need to thank Mitch Kirsch for getting me involved when we were back here. The second time she had me helping with the implementation of the pilot interview um, process for admissions. And it just showed me kind of another side of the honors college. And this year I've just started working Uh, as part of a donor task force within the Women's Philanthropic Advisory Board and just getting a chance to meet some fantastic women uh, who are looking for great ways to encourage women to donate and participate at Penn State. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes over the next
0: couple of months. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about that too. I know Brenda Walker and Haley Staub, who is yes. a scholar alumna herself, right. um, <laughs> are, are are putting that initiative together. And I really look forward to seeing what comes of that as um, some of our colleagues here in uh, the Division of Development Alumni Relations at Penn State. Um, so keep me apprised of that. I'm looking Absolutely. forward to hearing what's happening. The one final question for you both, this is a real fun one, uh, is, but uh, the important part is explain why on this one if you were a flavor of berkey creamery ice cream which would you both be and again why as scholars explain your why
2: <laughs> well um it turns out sean that we uh you know this is one of the, the listeners out there was you in an interview you get a couple questions um up front to think about not everything um and it turns out that not surprisingly the married Scholar couple um, chose the same flavor, so we would we would both be um, the WPSU coffee break, and uh, because I always need a a, a pick me up that caffeinated pick me up uh, to get me particularly early in the morning uh, get me going and I you know it's harder to do the older I get but I do burn the midnight oil um, and so that's that's often helpful to, to get me through uh, whatever work I'm trying to finish up for the evening maybe maybe Lauren you've got a different rationale for
1: that was exactly what I had said but you can't forget about the chocolate I said we love uh, cooking yes. together and we love eating savory foods together but we also both have a little bit of a sweet tooth and so those little chocolate it's mixed within the coffee flavored ice cream i think just provide that perfect sweet finish to the day <laughs> indeed
0: excellent choice excellent choice you can't go wrong and that was a very uh, great sweet way to end our conversation today um if any of our students want to get in touch with either of you what's the best way that they could uh, connect with you So they
2: can find me on on LinkedIn. Um, Just search for Sam Bonsall. Um, I'm also, I have a, since I'm a faculty member, you can find me on the Smeal College of Business accounting department faculty page.
1: And it seems like the education world is not as involved with LinkedIn. So you can find me on Facebook or Instagram or on my school district website.
0: Well, I hope that uh, some of you, if you have interest in learning more and connecting with Sam or Lauren, will take advantage of that. Thank you both so much for joining me today and dropping some great uh, bits of wisdom and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. It's been a blast. Thank you, scholars, for listening and learning with us today. We hope you will take something with you that will contribute to how you shape the world this show proudly supports the schreier honors college emergency fund benefiting scholars experiencing unexpected financial hardship you can make a difference at raise.psu.edu forward slash schreier please be sure to hit the relevant subscribe like or follow button on whichever platform you are engaging with us on today